We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Troche, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92, and you can follow me at Bill Troche, and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Today, we welcome back Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports. Chris is a national college football writer and uh, apparently a knockdown corner three-point shooter, at least according to your Twitter profile. I don't know. Uh, Chris joined us this summer to talk a little Texas football, and he joined us again to talk a little Red River rivalry this week. Chris, welcome in. Thanks. Uh, back injury a couple of years ago, so the corner three is not quite as prolific as it used to be, but I like to I like to think I could still shoot for the time okay. Sure. Very good. Very good. So, um, yeah, we, we're excited. You told me you're you're headed to Dallas this week. Um, so let's talk Texas, Oklahoma from someone who's uh, been inside the rivalry, understands it. And my first question to you is, as someone who's, you know, kind of inside the Texas program, what did that Texas win at Alabama mean to those guys? I think it was a signal that I mean, this, I guess for the team specifically, it's a signal that everything they've been pushing for and everything that I think they believed internally um, was true that I, I don't want to say Texas is back because Joe Tessitore has made that one of the more fraught <laughs> races in sports. But um, I think Texas believes it's in a much different place than it was three years ago when Tom Herman left um, culturally, physically from a roster standpoint, mentally. And it's really made a huge difference. I think... With Texas, everybody asked why is Texas different this year? And you could point to a lot of things on the field, like the roster is much different. It's much deeper than it's been in years past. But I think if you look at the way Texas has responded in the second half of some games this year, um, they were in a tight game with Alabama. They were down against Alabama in the second half, and they came back twice to win that game. They were tied with Wyoming in the fourth quarter, went on to win that game comfortably. They were in a close game with Kansas over the weekend. In the second half, they pulled away and won that game comfortably too. 
And what you're seeing right now is Texas responding in the second half. And there was a time a couple of years ago, even in Steve Sarkeesian's first year, where Texas blew second half lead after second half lead after second half lead. And I think this team and that Alabama game specifically represents how much that's changed because Texas isn't just holding on to second half leads right now. It is physically dominating opponents in the second half. And I think that is the biggest reason why, at least I feel Texas is different. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Chris, I've been making the joke that they, you can't lose a one-score game if you beat everybody by double digits, which is exactly what they've been doing all year. Um, so Quinn Ewers, it, you look at it, there's some of us that you'll look at his line at the end of the game, you'll be like, that's really good. You take an in-depth look at it from like pro football focus, you know, 419 on passes of 20 yards or more. And that's kind of been the knock on him a little bit. So how would you evaluate Quinn Ewers' play to this point? I mean, obviously everybody saw the Alabama game, but what have you seen in the in-between that, it's good, bad, could be better. I mean, what, what do you see? Well, that's the interesting thing about Quinn and Texas right now. Um, it's a very good offense that is missing that last little piece, which is the deep ball. And that's been a complaint in Austin for right. years now, ever since Quinn Evers got to campus. And if that ever happens, like if he starts hitting AD Mitchell and Xavier Worthy consistently, this offense can go up a level, which is a pretty scary team for a team ready clicking on all, all cylinders. But I think for Quinn, the most important thing for him right now is he's playing a lot more consistent. This is a guy last year who really struggled 
with turnovers. Um, he had bouts of significant inconsistency. I think of maybe like the Oklahoma State game that Texas lost on the road that they should have won. I think Quinn Ewers threw the ball like 50 times that day, only completed like 45% of his passes, had a couple interceptions. He hasn't had those moments this year. Um, and in that way, he's really taken a step as a passer. I think he's been more willing to take what's there for him, take that free money on, especially early downs and not push the ball in bad situations. And his, if you looked at his, I don't know what happened last year after the Alabama game. I suspect he was a little squirrely after that injury. But if you just look at his footwork last year, it was all over the place. Um, Quinn was always a little loose with it. It's been a style since high school, but it was all over the place last season. And I think this year he's really cleaned that up. He obviously cleaned up his haircut. Looks like um, a different person, no mullet anymore. And um, I don't, I don't know if it's just the mullet or if it's just the footwork. I bet it's more of the footwork and the consistency. But he is a much better quarterback than he was a season ago. And he's done it with the specter of Arch Manning hanging over his head a little bit, you know. And and, and Malik Murphy, we had you on this summer. We talked about the. The, the QB competition, you said it wasn't a competition. Q, Quinn was, you know, comfortably in front. But, I mean, even here at Sporting News, we had a story that says, uh, why isn't Arch Manning starting? And uh, it's a, uh, you know, explains the Texas QB depth chart. That thing rises to the to near the top of our of our traffic every weekend looking for Arch Manning. So It's, a, I mean, it's that's up there with Taylor Swift traffic. <laughs> I mean, Arch Manning and Taylor Swift. That's right. And Deion Sanders. And uh, it's it's let's not forget that piece of it that, you know, he 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 overcame that pressure as well. Yeah, um, I I don't really I'd be curious. I don't really think there was a lot to that. I mean, outside. I get it. Arch Manning. We I think Quinn Ewers is a huge name in college football. But then you have to remind yourself that there are different levels of celebrity. Deion Sanders is a true crossover celebrity. Um, he transcends college football in a way even Nick Saban does not really. And I think Arch Manning, because of how famous his family is, transcends college football in a way that most players would never do. And Quinn Ewers, for his part, like was a generational QB prospect. I think he had the second highest um, QB grade ever in the modern era behind Trevor Lawrence. Like He is somebody who had a lot on his shoulders for a long time. And I think internally in Texas, it was never really a thing. I think Arch Manning went to Texas knowing he would likely redshirt. I think Arch Manning knew going into Texas, he might not even be the second-string quarterback, and the second-string quarterback is Malik Murphy this year. That'll be an interesting battle next offseason, as I expect Quinn, um, barring a disaster the next couple of weeks, to end up going to the NFL. So that's a conversation for next year. But I, I really don't think it ever really bothered Quinn, to be honest, because I don't think Arch was ever really in a position to push him for that job. Quinn never, first of all, Quinn never allowed him to. Um, I think Quinn really took a hold of that job in the spring and established himself as a starter. But also because I, I don't think any of the conversations around the program or really any of Arch's expectations lined up to that narrative that he could start. Yeah, for sure. So uh, heading into this Oklahoma game, let's look at the other side. Oklahoma, we, I, I guess, Chris, the best way I would describe them is I'm not sure. Uh, they look like a top 10 team. They're scoring like a top 10 team. Dylan Gabriel's been super efficient. Uh, the transfer portal has been kind to them. You know, what's your feel for Oklahoma going into this game? Do they, Texas has gotten all the headlines for sure. Is Oklahoma a little too much of an undercard in this game? Um, 
It just depends on how you choose to think about it. I, I, I've always been of the mind that if a team is dominating, they're good. And Oklahoma right now is dominating its opponents. There have been some games that have given me pause. I don't particularly think Cincinnati is very good. And Oklahoma was in a tight game with them. SMU is a really good team, but they're not on, shouldn't be on Oklahoma's level. And that was a reasonably tight game for a while. So there have been moments, especially for that offense, that give me pause. But for the most part, I think Oklahoma's taken a significant step from last year. Um, I think we all remember what happened in the Red River game last year. Uh, uh, really out <laughs> a score that is still shocking to me. Um, but it'll be a much different game this year. It helps that Dylan Gabriel's healthy going into this one. Uh, he did not play last year and made all the difference in the world. But I think, I think if I was an Oklahoma fan, the thing I would be really encouraged by is the performance by the defense. Um, that's obviously Brent Venable's baby, but it was bad in 2022. Um, I think Oklahoma finished that season 82nd nationally in yards allowed per play. This season, they're in the top 20. So there's a much different defense. And for Oklahoma, for me, I really think it comes down to the front. Uh, Brent Venables, for a long time, has been somebody who creates pressure without having to bring really um, a ton of pressure off the blitz. I think we all think of those Brent Venables moments where he would just come after people on third down. But for the most part, he is a four down pass rushing coach. And right now, Oklahoma is generating a lot of pressure uh, without having to bring extra rushers. And I think that's made all the difference for that defense this year. That secondary is a little bit better. Danny Stetsman's obviously playing like one of the best defensive players in America at linebacker. But with that unit creating pressure for the first time in a long time, it didn't happen very often under Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley. I think you're seeing that defense in a different place, which gives Oklahoma a different feel and a different vibe than it's had in a couple of years. And I think that at least gives Oklahoma a chance to stay in this game on Saturday. Yeah, Texas's offensive line on the other side has been playing very well. It's very well regarded, uh, both lines, really. And so he may have to blitz if he wants to get some pressure on yours on Saturday. Um, how much anger is left over over that 49 to nothing game on the Oklahoma side? Or, or was it just a one-off or writing it off or quarterback was hurt? That was a bad season, and and we're not even going to refer to it. Or so are they are they tapping into the the embarrassment, or are they just moving past it? I, I'm not. I'm obviously not in Oklahoma's building, but I would imagine they'll be tapping into it heavily. Um, if I got beat forty nine nothing, I think the most motivating thing in the world would be to see that score over and over and over again. And um, that was a pretty dark stain on Brent Venables' uh, tenure. Every other game Oklahoma played last year, even with all of their injuries and all of um, Kind of their ups and downs was pretty close, but they got blown out by TCU and then they got embarrassed by Texas. And I think that has been a motivating force for Brent Venables all off season. Um, this is the most important game on the calendar for both of these coaches uh, without much question until you get to the postseason. Um, it is the game that defines the season. And I think you'll see Brent Venables throw every motivational trick in the book that he has. And I think you'll also see, that's what's interesting about this game. Oklahoma hasn't really been tested this year. And I think from a game planning perspective, that's going to allow Oklahoma to show some things this week that it hasn't had to show this year, which could be pretty advantageous. This is already the third top 25 opponent Texas has played this year. Um, you could argue that this isn't even the most significant game Texas has played this year, at least in terms of quality of opponent. So that will be a minor advantage for Oklahoma. The fact that they probably have a couple cards left to play that they haven't played yet this season. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea. Your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a powerful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Greg Sankey's going to be there. So, and Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormack's not. Uh, for for somebody that grew up around this game, and, and you know, you've said you've been there. I, I think I, I covered one with you the one year when Charlie Strong actually won the game. And, you know, what, what do you see for the future of this game in the SEC? And how do you feel as maybe take your writer hat off for a second and tell us, you know, from an emotional standpoint, what's that mean to you that this will be – an SEC rivalry in a year? <laughs> uh, well, first, I would be surprised if the game moved. Um, I think recently the Cotton Bowl extended their contract with these two teams, and it's expected to stay at the Cotton Bowl for a while. I think if you see any changes eventually down the line, you could see this game at Jerry World. I think that would be a huge mistake. Um, the Cotton Bowl just is an environment that's very unique and very special in college football, and Jerry World feels stale um, next to it. So from that perspective, I don't expect it to change. As for it being a Big 12, or as for it being an SEC game instead of a Big 12 game, um, I mean, I grew up in da- like in the Dallas area. This is always a uh, Big 12 game. I'll, I'll really miss uh, the Big 12. I'm, I'm sure some Texas fans won't care about shedding Iowa State, Kansas State, and a couple others from the schedule. But um, it's a conference that I'm very used to and very comfortable with. So from that perspective, um, it'll be a little sad. But I don't, I don't think this rivalry will change in IOTA in the sec it's still going to be really important will both of these teams be as good as they've been or sometimes been in texas's case um as they were in the big 12 is there in the sec i don't know i think it's going to be a challenging environment for both programs as they enter um just because of the top to, or top to bottom quality of the league but in terms of a saturday in october where you can go get a corn dog at 9 a.m and a couple beers and then go in the stadium and it's 50 50 um Texas colors, 50-50 Oklahoma colors, and then afterward, the winning team just gets to talk a lot of crap to the opposing fan base um, while riding the Ferris wheel after. Like, it's it's a pretty unique thing in college football, and I don't think that'll change when conferences change. Yeah, to talk a little bit more about that, because I have never been there. Bill, you've been there, uh, and Chris, and, you know, to me, as an outsider, it seems like sort of a, a very exciting traditional scary and unhealthy place all at the same time all rolled up into one i don't know if that uh if that's 
accurate and you know it's almost always played at noon i don't know in the history of the game if they've tried it at night i don't know if they feel like that would not be a good idea uh for too many fans drinking or whatever or is it why it's always at noon or 11 a.m i guess in, in in central time zone um just what what is it like like i just you know i've like i said i've heard stories but i just i, I don't know i want to hear someone who's experienced it a lot well um you get there um i usually get there at 6 a.m yeah like yeah. Six, yeah. 6 to 7 a.m just to make sure you get parking um <laughs> you drive through what I would call not like necessarily the nicest area of Dallas in the world. And then you show up and it's just a giant carnival, essentially. I mean, it's the state fair of Texas. Um, there are lines and lo- rows and rows and rows and rows of carnival games. There are rows and rows and rows of fried food available to purchase. There's an entire like fried food tent, essentially a culinary feast for the eyes where you can buy everything from like, um, fried brisket balls to like fried cinnamon rolls. Um, this year I saw there was a Bloody Mary that had essentially like a corn dog like decoration along with a couple other things. It's like almost an art piece. Um, and you show up early and you gorge just what you want at 9 a.m. Right? Just what you want. Is a corn dog. I mean, most people have been drinking since five or six, so you gotta you gotta gotta help the system out somehow. And you uh, eat a couple corn dogs before the game at Fletcher's. Uh, maybe play a couple carnival games with your family. And then there are a hundred thousand people in the stadium and then probably an extra 25,000 people outside the stadium still doing state fair things because it's a normal day at the state fair uh, with the exception of a hundred thousand people watching football at the same time. Um, And then if you enter the stadium, the teams enter through one tunnel. Um, There's the Oklahoma side right as you walk in. So as Texas goes through, it's a like cascade of booze. Um, and insults being yelled at them. And then once you cross midfield, that shifts into cheers. And then they run towards the end zone and where Bebo is in the band. And then for three and a half hours, um, half the field um, is in agony and half the field is just in elation as the momentum swings of the game happen. It is a, uh, it is a magical thing. It really is. Like I've been to a lot of great college football environments and I think you could argue quite a few um, rivalry games as being as important as Texas and Oklahoma, but in terms of um, the spectacle of a game and just the spectacle of what college football can produce, I I, I don't think there's a better game out there. Have they they ever tried it at night or what? No, I don't believe so. Um, I'm obviously like I'm 31. So there's a lot of, a lot of years I wasn't alive for, but not that I can remember. I do remember a couple of years ago putting at 2.30 um, Central Time for a kick at some point. I think I remember that being a pretty big controversy. And then it went back to 11 a.m. pretty quickly. But um, I'll be curious in the future. Obviously, ESPN is going to have this game every year for the next however long that contract is. And I don't know if they'll want to go head-to-head with Fox's 11 a.m. slot every year. But I, I could be wrong. Um it would be weird to have this game not at 11 a.m. I'll say that there are a lot of um, a lot of things I think you would miss if you had it at night, just because the fair itself is going to shut down at a certain point, and you lose kind of some of that energy that you get around it if it's not in the morning. That's what I was going to say. Is like it's it's very much like Ohio State, Michigan. They moved that one time in my lifetime when they were one and two in a 3:30 game, but they were ranked number one and number two, and people were still mad about it. So. Yeah. Um, and the best way I would describe that game, the, the time that I covered it, is the smell. It was like, I can't, 
can't even describe it. It was that's what I remember. I remember the sights. I remember seeing the stuff around the fair. I remember the game being awesome and the energy around it. But I just remember the smell. And that's what I was looking at the state fair's new menu, Chris. And I I'm gonna give you three choices, and you could tell me which one you would try. Uh, the fruity pebble pickle. Uh, <laughs> the I just scrolled down and saw one. It was amazing. Raspberry chipotle jalapeno popper grilled cheese. Or, and I think this last one will be easy. I was scrolling down. What? No, not that one. I got to do a harder one here. Um, there was one up here. Okay, cornbread cornbread sausage bomb. So which one of those three would you be most likely to give a, a wing to? I mean, I would eat a cornbread sausage bomb, whatever that is, on a yes. random Tuesday. So that, that sounds good to me. Okay. Um, the raspberry... The raspberry dish also sounded interesting. I'm going to stay away from the Fruity Pebble Pickles. The Fruity Pebble Pickle, I would yeah. probably try on a dare, maybe. <laughs> Chris, what yeah. do you think? I don't, not a big pickle guy in the first place. And then uh, I don't really need my childhood cereal getting thrown into the pickle experience. But I'm mostly, I'm very consistent at the State Fair. I'm a uh, corn dog guy. And then I get a fried Snickers on the way out and I call it a day. <laughs> so the spread is five and a half. Do you think that's a little low? I think it's a little high, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, high. I, yeah. I think. I think I would pick Texas to cover that spread pretty comfortably. I think I might pick Texas, even if the spread was at seven. Um, I think Texas should be a pretty significant favorite in this game. I think they're the better team. And I'll, I mean, I could I could be very wrong. Weird things happen in this game. It is a game in which I feel like momentum matters more than almost any other in college football. You can just feel it in the stadium in a way you can't in a lot of other circumstances, especially given it's a neutral side experience. But I think Texas is just a better team right now. I think Oklahoma lacks some of the uh, playmakers on the outside. Jeff Levy really needs to make that system go. I think the Oklahoma offensive line is not as good as it's been in years past. And I still think Oklahoma's defense, especially in the secondary, could struggle to keep up with Texas skill pieces. And I, I could be very wrong. Like the, the underdog in this game has won many times and uh, this game matters a ton. And Texas still has a lot to prove in terms of handling these situations. But I, I would pick Texas to cover that right now. I think I picked them to win with a, by a touchdown with the understanding that with the exception of last year, it's been a one score game several seasons. So uh, yeah, that's, so we're, I'm, we're in agreement there, but again, it, Texas wins this game. It's hard not to lightly start penciling them in like you are with Florida State, although we have a long way to go till November. Yeah, I think I think Florida State is a different scenario than Texas. One, because the ACC is much better than the Big 12, at least in terms of teams near the top of the conference, but also because I think Texas is just a more complete roster than Florida State right now. Florida State's got a lot of really good players and a, lot of, and a ton of depth. But I think Texas has the top-end talent you need um, to at least push for a college football playoff spot, especially in a conference where nobody else comes close. So I think if Texas wins on Saturday, you can very comfortably pencil them in for the Big 12 championship game. And if they win that game, uh, we know what step is next if you're a one-loss team or a no-loss team. Is your dog telling you that Jordan Love is going to come beat the Cowboys soon? Is that what he's saying? My dog is telling yes. me that Jordan Love's probably going to throw another couple picks. <laughs> well, we'll see. You guys got the other NFC rival this weekend. I'll leave it at that. Uh, have fun with San Francisco. Good luck with that. <laughs>
You know what? Uh, as a Cowboys fan, San Francisco has been nightmare fuel for me for mm. a couple of years. So I'm not, not freaking positive about it. To be honest, I would almost rather us lose on Saturday or on Sunday um, and then beat them in the playoffs because the idea of beating San Francisco twice in one season seems pretty far-fetched. But, you, um, are a, you are a good sport about it. One of the dads on Grant's football team wears a shirt to the games that says Dallas Cowboys, number one fan. And I'll just tell him next time that, no, Chris Hummer is the number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think there are a lot of people in the state that probably lay claim to that one, but uh, yeah. I do still. I still I don't get upset at sports very often anymore. I, I'm sure y'all feel the same way. Like, kind of your job um, takes a little yeah. bit of that wonder out of you sometimes. But um, there's nothing quite like a uh, Dak Prescott interception or uh, a late Cowboys fumble to get my blood boiling. Um, it, it's a quite a quite a special experience every Sunday. <laughs> so. Uh... Chris, before I let you go, we're going to have a, a Trochi trivia question. Uh, you're going to go head-to-head with Mr. Bender. He's usually very good at these. Um, and then, uh, then, like I said, we'll let you go. But this is the first Texas-Oklahoma matchup. I'm sure, as you know, that uh, both teams are undefeated since 2011. So we want to revisit that 2011 game. Who were the starting QBs in that 2011 Texas-Oklahoma showdown? Um Chris looks a little pensive for the answer. Bill, you got it or what? I'm going to let him go first. He's the, okay. All right. he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guest. Texas would have been – I think that's still probably Case McCoy. Um, it might have been Tyrone Swoops at that point, but I think it's – no, no, that's Max last couple. Yeah. Um, David Ash. I don't know. Case McCoy for Texas and then Oklahoma I have – I have no clue, honestly. That feels like a Landry Jones, and I like I like Ash as an answer because that's because it depends on if Colt was still there or not. If it was not Colt and Sam, then it's got to be I'll say Ash and Landry Jones. All right, you were both half right. It was Case McCoy. Against Landry Jones. Yep. So there we go. Landry Jones Teamwork. threw for 367 yards and three TDs. Case McCoy threw for 116, no TDs. OU won 55 to 17 that day. So, Teamwork, Chris. They, we got also, there. OU also dog walked Texas the next year. I remember that. Um, and then they won in 2013. So, uh, yeah, the Case McCoy are a very special time for Texas fans everywhere. There you go. Very good. All right. Well, thank you to Chris and thank you to everyone for listening to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Uh, We will be back uh, later on in the middle of the week to talk uh, some more college football uh, news and notes. Then we'll have our prediction show later. And then, of course, the live show on Saturday nights. Uh, So thank you again for everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you soon.